according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Well, let's read 11 down to verse 13. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Well, brethren, we have been uh, looking at Ephesians under the theme of celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ. And it's been coined deliberately that way so that as we are learning, we are asking ourselves the question, are we truly celebrating what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now we are in chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul has taken this slight detour. He had begun by wanting to say that he is about to pray for them, but as he introduces himself and then recognizes that he is in fact in prison, he realizes I need to say something about this so that the Ephesians are not thinking that something of a calamity has happened that is now outside the control of God. And so that's why from chapter 3 verse 1 to chapter 3 and verse 13, he begins to speak a little more about himself his call, his task in the world, and where all that is ultimately going. That it is going to the point where God will be worshipped for the way in which he would have gathered together Jews and Gentiles to worship him. So, so far, we have seen um, how God gave Paul grace to steward the revelation of God. We saw that from verse 1 to verse 3. We also saw how God has revealed his universal agenda across history in Jesus Christ. In verse 7, rather verse 6, verse 4 to verse 6. And then in the last two weeks, we have seen how Paul sees himself in that overall agenda of God. We noted that he saw himself as one who has been made a minister by the grace of God and by the power of God. We also saw the way in which 
he saw himself as one who is amazingly privileged to be called to such a task. First of all, because of who he himself was, the least of the least of the saints, because of what he had done in persecuting the church. And now God calls him to this glorious task of being one who is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Glorious that must surely be from the bottom, the, the bottom of the bottom to be one who is now bringing to light these great truths. Well, this is now what we are looking at. The title of my message is The Task and Goal of Preaching. Having been thrilled about what God has called him to do, to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, he now goes even further to speak about what that task is and also the goal, what it will finally produce so that the world might stand amazed. What a responsibility to preach to all. And what a glorious and magnificent end when the whole of the angelic hosts end up worshipping this great and glorious God who is amazing in all his ways. Brethren, we need to be people who pray for more of this. For God sending out preachers and the church of Jesus Christ being thus established. Well, let's quickly look at each of these. First of all, the task of preaching and secondly, the goal of preaching. The task of preaching is that of telling everyone or telling all these unsearchable riches of God in Christ. That's precisely the way in which the Apostle Paul looked at his own task. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. He had just said to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. To bring to light. By that it simply means to reveal, to make manifest so that people are able to see. Now obviously the, the one who is the true light of heaven is our Lord Jesus Christ who has thus come into the world and brought in a new dispensation altogether so that men and women who lived before Jesus Christ came and men and women who now live after Jesus Christ has come into the world may be able to have a very clear distinction like darkness and light. Darkness being before he came to reveal all things, to make 
the Old Testament now bring forth all its hidden jewels so that now we can understand it as we do today. But also Christians in the world are reckoned to be the light of the world. In that sense, all of us are to be individuals who are making known the goodness of God to the world. As the Lord Jesus Christ puts it in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, he says there, you are the light of the world. And who are you? The ones that have been saved by him. And he says towards the end there, let your light so shine that these same people around you who are speaking evil of you may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. So there's a sense in which Jesus is the light. There's a sense in which all of us are also the light as we manifest God's grace in our lives. But God also calls men to bring light for everyone or for all. And in this sense, Paul is referring to himself and to others in that category. That we are to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. It is not enough that we are simply going about our working lives and people who are looking at us are saying, Wow, what a God. A God who changes lives and transforms lives and makes sinners into such godly individuals. Wow. Yes, that's going to happen. We'll come to it in verse 10. But Paul is saying that God goes one step further. He actually sends individuals like myself to, to push the domains of darkness backwards. To bring light into further places so that more and more people around the world, what is calling everyone or all, that they may realize this. And friends, as I have been saying in the last few weeks, let me repeat that today. We as a church must be mindful of this and must be deliberate about this. We must be wanting to see God calling out today such individuals that we as a church may set them apart and send them forth so that they might fulfill exactly what Paul is talking about here. Here we were praying about Mali, for instance. Now, what are we praying for? That things may just somehow happen on their own? Yes, that's one way. But you can be sure that it is also this. The harvest is white. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth laborers into his harvest field. In other words, we want 
even from among ourselves, individuals to arise and say to the elders, God has been dealing with my soul. He has burdened me that somehow Mali, I just can't get Mali off my mind. That I may go there with my wife and our children to go and be spent there. To go and, 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 and preach the everlasting gospel there. We don't know what awaits us. But please pray for us. Help us prepare and send us that we might go and preach the message there. We must be praying for this. Not just, Lord, somehow or rather make the numbers grow there in Mali. But, Lord, raise up gospel soldiers that we might send them forth. It's interesting the way in which the Apostle Paul uh, describes what it is that these gospel preachers are to go and preach. He says this, back to our text. He says, to bring to light for everyone, not what is the mystery hidden for ages in God. In a sense, that's what is to be preached. Because remember, that's what he had said earlier on in verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And what is that mystery? He deals with it in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So in a sense, that's what they preach. But notice he's squeezed in another word. And it is this. To bring to light for everyone what is, according to the ESV, the plan of the mystery. The plan of the mystery. It's uh, a little deceiving because the actual word that is used there is exactly the same word that was used in verse 2 when he said, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship. It's exactly the same word in the Greek. The stewardship of God's grace. Now, it has been translated as plan. What does the word mean? It, 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 the word means stewardship. <laughs> it means plan. It means management. It means administration phrases like that that's all it means in other words what paul is talking about here is that in his preaching and in the preaching of others they are to bring to light to everybody what is the management of this ministry what is the administration of this ministry what is the outworking of this ministry? Now, the difference between verse 2 and verse 9 is this. That in verse 2, 
the managers, the stewards are the preachers. Okay? So this has been given to us so that we can manage it as we are now proclaiming it to the world. In verse 9, the manager is God. The manager is God. We are simply declaring what God is doing. And what is he doing? He is carrying out this same mystery. He is the one who is rolling it out and making sure that whatever was planned is actually being carried out to its final logical end. All we are doing is proclaiming it. That God is at work in the world. God right now is saving his elect people through the gospel that we preach. Right now, not only from among the Jews, but also from among the Gentiles. This God is working out his eternal purpose. We need to hear that, brethren. Uh, uh, Christianity is not at the mercy of the opposition in various religions, whether African religions or Middle East religions and so on, or even Western atheism. Christianity is not at the mercy of that. Because there is someone with a capital S who is sitting in the driver's seat carrying out this work. It's being managed from a headquarters in heaven where the omnipotent one sits and he is carrying it out. Our job is to bring this to light for everyone. What is the plan or the administration or the management of this mystery that was hidden for ages in God? And I love the way in which Paul describes this God. Look at the way he describes him here. Who created all things. Who created all things. It's as though he's saying, yes, God made the world. He made all things. And then they were ruined by the fall. Terribly ruined. The one who has now come in to administer the fixing of that ruin is the one who actually made all things. So, surely we can ask and answer the question, who better knows how to fix something than the person who designed it in the first place? Who? Surely. That's the reason why, you know, when people are, are talking about being trained to fix computers, they want to say to you that, you know, look at my certificate. And it says somewhere there, Microsoft trainee or Microsoft graduate. 
then suddenly you begin to say, ah, I think this guy can fix my computer because each time I open it, it has Microsoft showing there. So he must be coming from the right place. But if he puts there, you sort of trainee from Conrad Mbewe Ministries. <laughs> Sorry, excuse us. Maybe other people might want your help, but no, no, I, I, I'm okay, I'm all right. Because you don't know where this person is coming from. Or, as is my favorite uh, Henry Ford illustration, I think if you've been here at KBC long enough, you've heard it many times. This old, old man who comes to fix this vehicle along the road, owned by an individual who has brought in one technician after another, one person to come and fix and they've all failed and then here comes an old man who comes and says what's the problem and the mechanic says sir it's okay you you can go and the man insists no, no, no. no let me check so finally you know what happens when a fool wants to show his foolishness you finally just give him enough rope to hang himself so, oh, okay, okay, yeah. The man peeps into the engine and finally says to the mechanic, okay, could you try the engine once more? The man tries it and it's nothing happening. says, okay. Bends into the engine one more time and then says to the mechanic, try again. And when he tries it, it's... Hey, what did you do? The old man shuts the hood and as he goes to his car, he says, my name is Henry Ford. I designed the engine. That's it. Surely, if he made it, he knows how to fix it. And that's the point Paul is saying here. That this God is not just the God of the Jews, He's the God of the Gentiles as well. He's the God of the, all the world. Why? He created everything. So he knows how to fix all our human hearts. All of us. And he's saying, what we are now preaching is how he is going about it. How he is going about it. All the way from the Middle East all the way into Europe, all the way into the Americas, all the way into Africa, all the way into Asia, all the way into what we call down under, the Australias, all over the world, this God is busy fixing hearts through the gospel. Paul is saying, this is what we are preaching. And in the end, he will prove it when the agenda is over. Let's go back to chapter 1. Chapter 1. This is the way Paul puts it there. Beginning with verse 7. Remember when he was talking about Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. He says, in him that is in the beloved, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses 
according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We'll come back to this wisdom and insight in a moment. Making known to us the mystery of his will. There is the mystery again. But listen to this. According to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. The fullness of time being this same time we are in all the way to the end. But what I want you to see now is that end. Look at the way he puts it here. To unite all things. Remember, he's the creator of all things. In him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's the agenda that he is on. And not just uniting all things, but uniting them for one purpose. To worship him. To glorify him. To love him with all their beings. That which in fact the fall rendered impossible. In Genesis chapter 3. Human hearts became at enmity with God. Became selfish and self-centered. Self-serving. But God is working to bring all this together to worship him. For all eternity. Through the preaching of the gospel. But let's hurry on because that's the goal. That's the end that he's now referring to in verse 10. Listen to the way he puts it here. He says, so that through the church. Now that's surprising. You would have thought you would say through the mystery. Or through the gospel. But suddenly, he has brought in a concept that he's not been talking about so far. Through the church. And we will understand why in a moment. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I know these high-sounding words might be sounding to you like, what on earth is he talking about? Let me put it this way to you. First of all, the gospel does not just save us as individuals. It unites us together into the church. And in a sense, there's only one church on the entire planet. The church of Jesus Christ produced by the gospel. We saw it in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and men cried out to him, What shall we do? And when he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and so on, the fruit of it was this 3,000 people came together into the church in Jerusalem. And then, as we go a few verses further, we read again, and the Lord was saving those who believed and adding to their numbers 
those who were being saved. Adding to them those who were being saved. So, let me put it this way to you. Jesus does not save individuals and then just on their own somehow, they should be thinking, okay, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. He doesn't do that. They come out of the woodworks when he saves them. And they identify themselves with the church. They come and say, I have now repented. I have now believed. I want to be baptized. I want to be identified with you as the people of God in this locality. In other words, if you claim to be a Christian, but you are content to be outside the membership of a church, we need to put three big question marks on your profession of faith. Because Jesus Christ does not know Lone Ranger Christians. He doesn't. And that's one of the hardest things that people have to process, especially in Islamic countries. Because to come out in the open and say, I now want to be baptized and to be identified with Christians is literally to put your neck on the block. Yes. It's not just that you are ostracized from your family. It is not simply that you lose out on opportunities for jobs and schools and, and scholarships and so on. It is that somebody wants to come and put a knife through your torso and bring you to death. But guess what? They have no choice. God does not have secret believers just on their own somehow floating around as long as they finally get to heaven. He wants them to come out of the woodworks and be identified as the church. The church. The church. And that's the point that he is making here. That the goal of preaching is to call out the people from the world and assemble them together to be identified under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We are the people of God here. And when somebody comes to figure out who they are, the person gets shocked. You know why? They are shocked by the diversity that is there. Diversity. It's black and white, colored, it's Tumbukas and Tongas, it is Bembas and Bizas, and so on. They are all there, despite the fact that out there in the world, they are killing each other. They are stabbing one another. They don't want to have anything to do with one another. They are building barriers among themselves. Well, you come into the Christian church and they are saying, my brother, my sister, 
I love you. You love me. That shocks the world. Let's read this passage. He says in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, this same creator of all things, might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, that their brains might be blown away. Because they are asking, how have you done this? How? It's not like people have gone through, you know, a five-year course on, on human unity. That we are all with the same final ingredients. We, we are all made of the same lump of clay. So after five years of training, finally people are beginning to say, okay, it's beginning to make sense, so let's, let's, let's be together. No. It's through the proclamation of this mystery. God is fixing human hearts and bringing them one by one into this same body with all their variety. But friends, that's the end product. But listen, because talking about not just the wisdom of God, but the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. The phrase manifold being multifaceted with so many amazing sides to it that when you look at it, you just finally go, wow! Wow! This, this is incredible. I, I, I can try and follow one lead, but then I find there is another lead, and then another string going in, and another road going in, and, and all these are, are coming together to put this glorious and magnificent edifice that makes me say, wow. Wow. It's like the illustration that I use of watches once upon a time, or clocks. When you opened their back in those days, these days when you open the back of your watch, Ah, it's just some computer chips there, you know, you don't see anything. But in those days, we used to marvel, because when you opened, there were many wheels there. Many wheels. Some wheels are big, others are small. Some wheels are moving very fast. Others, even when you are looking like this, you think they are not moving. But that's the fact they are. Some wheels are moving to, they're moving clockwise. Others are moving anti-clockwise. So when you are looking, it's like it's complete confusion there. Complete confusion. But when you close it 
and then you turn the other way around, you find three arms. Well, we call them arms, don't we? Three arms. The, the one for seconds, the one for minutes, and the one for hours. And what those wheels were doing is enabling those three arms to move in precision real precision so that the one that is moving the fastest which is the second hand is making sure that when it does its full circle it's always in one minute always in one minute and the second one is doing its circle it's one hour and then the last one is i think 12 hours or something Bottom line is this. There is no confusion. Absolutely no confusion. It is according to design. The one, often it would be saying Swiss makers. So we used to believe wherever these geniuses lived in Switzerland. So we thought. Who were putting all this together these wheels all these wheels and finally they are revealing to us precise time well that's what he means by this manifold wisdom manifold wisdom it's it's it blows our minds for instance god turning sinners into saints is one area but let's change bringing life out of death jesus dies normally we should say finish it's dead finish but in actual fact it is through that death that he brings about life or he brings glory out of shame. When the Lord Jesus Christ is killed in nakedness and shame and buried, out of that comes the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He brings blessing out of a curse because remember death is the curse of god but out of that the blessing of abraham comes to us he brings power out of weakness again all that can be described in the person and work of our lord jesus christ but then we come to the final product, isn't it? The church. Created through a message. A message of a historical person called Jesus who died. The worst form of death ever invented by human cruelty. Some 2,000 years ago, somewhere in the Middle East. And what has that produced? you come on 
Who would have contemplated that? Who would have thought like that? Who? God, through his manifold wisdom. His manifold wisdom. And then lastly, it is not just to be seen on earth, but it is to mesmerize the angels in heaven. That's the way he ends. He says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, so that as angels are worshipping God, they are able to worship him, not simply because of who he is, this infinitely glorious person, but also because of what he has done that also completely mesmerizes them. Completely mesmerizes them. As they see, already beginning to happen now, but finally, when we do get to heaven, and we add all our voices together as the church of Jesus Christ, beginning to worship him there, for all eternity, it will also enrich their own worship, their own glorification of this God. So that's the goal, brethren. We've seen the task, and we've also seen the goal. I want to say again, what a responsibility it is for those of us who sense God's call to, as it were, hold the plow with both hands and go to proclaim this message. What a responsibility that we, are, we must be faithful to this message and that through this message we are seeing men and women of all shapes and colors and, and all shades coming in in repentance and faith in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a responsibility we have. But also, as I already said, what a glorious and magnificent end. You know, when you come to Christ, you only think about yourself, isn't it? That, you know, my sin is going to cause me to end up in hell. There's a Savior that has been sent let me apply to him for salvation. That's all we think about. Because we are still outside. But once we come in, we should be shocked. We should be. It's like a person who is running away from a lion and is charging at him. And the first door he comes to, he breaks it open falls on the inside and quickly shuts it. And then when he goes, whew, he turns around, he discovers he's in state house. And it's a presidential banquet. Eh? It's not just, whew, it's also, <coughs> you know, make sure my jacket is alright and everything. Let me enjoy 
what I've suddenly found myself into. That's what should be true about us. Yes, you were running away from danger, running away from hell, running away from whatever it was. But where you have entered is the unsearchable riches of Christ. Celebrate! Enjoy! Because it is going towards a glorious end. Let me ask you, are you a part of this today? Are you? Or are you still out an outsider just coming to church and listening to messages and then going back home? Have you responded to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that calls you to turn away from your sin and put your trust in the Savior from heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has lived and died for sin and been raised again from the dead? Have you taken that huge step, that seismic step that turns from darkness into light. Have you done that? Because you could easily be starving while there is this glorious plenty for your soul for all eternity. Have you genuinely repented? Have you? If you turn away from everything you really know to be seen, so that even as I'm describing all these things, you are saying, praise the Lord, I belong to that company. I remember very well the day when I ran away from the lion and burst my way into this room and began to feast with so many other people. I'm asking have you done that? You know, perhaps it's, we may understand when men and women who go to hell from lands where the gospel has never been preached, we may understand. But if you go to hell, you sitting in here, if you go to hell, we will look the other way as you are screaming in the flames of hell. Because you heard the appeal again and again and again. The feast was presented before you. And you were seeing other believers celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ. But you loved your sin so much that like Pharaoh that we're reading about earlier on today, you hardened your heart. Then you must perish. And don't expect anybody to feel sorry for you. But for us who've responded to this, let's always be amazed. Let's always be amazed that God should have included us us into this great gospel feast. That as the combined harvester with God in the operating room, as the combined harvester was making its way across history, he had us in mind. He had us in mind. And he 
ripped us and brought us in. Let us ever out of gratitude and amazement want to live for him, to love him, to serve him, and to worship him together with other believers. Dumbfounding the principalities that are enemies of God and causing the principalities and authorities, the angels of God that are still worshipping him in heaven, to worship him even more because of what they witness. To him alone be the glory. Amen. Let's take a moment and just reflect on God's word.